0: Neuropathways, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals, exploring the latest research discoveries and clinical advances in the fields of neurology and neurosurgery. Welcome to another episode of Neuropathways. I'm your host, Alex Ray Grant, neurologist in Cleveland Clinic's Neurological Institute. In an effort to explore the latest advances in neurological practice, Today we're talking about the latest advances in the surgical treatment of brain aneurysms. I'm very pleased to have Dr. Mark Bain join us for today's conversation. Dr. Bain is a neurosurgeon and head of cerebrovascular and endovascular neurosurgery in Cleveland Clinic's Neurological Institute. Mark, welcome to Neuropathways. Thank
1: you, pleasure to be here.
0: Mark, let's start with the easy question so our listeners can get to know you a bit. Where are you from, where did you train, and when did you begin your career at Cleveland Clinic?
1: I think I can handle this one. So uh, I'm from Buffalo, New York originally, um, and uh, I did my training here at the Cleveland Clinic. uh, So it's been here since 2004, um, and then I came on staff here in 2010.
0: Today, we're talking about treatment of brain aneurysms. Can you set the stage a bit? What's been the historical practice in treating brain aneurysms surgically?
1: Yeah, so brain aneurysms are a a, a worrying lesion uh, that we deal with. And the reason that they're so worrisome is they can cause such problems uh, when they bleed. And when these aneurysms rupture, uh, they tend to really damage the brain and the outcomes of patients are are really poor. Um, We know that about 25% of people that have a brain aneurysm rupture will do well. Most of our treatment is to get rid of these aneurysms uh, before they rupture. It, historically, these aneurysms were treated with surgery. And the surgical treatment of these aneurysms uh, had to do with getting a pretty bad-looking haircut. So we'd shave a lot of hair, um, and what patients did not like. We'd have a big incision on the head. We'd take a fair amount of bone off uh, to access the brain. And then using skull-based techniques, we would actually get down with a microscope. We would able, absolutely be able to see the aneurysm uh, from the outside. And then we would place a small aneurysm clip across the aneurysm, basically pinching it off from the circulation so that the blood couldn't touch the aneurysm and the aneurysm couldn't rupture. So it was a very, very effective treatment. Uh, we could pretty much treat all aneurysms in the brain uh, with this treatment, but it carried with it a lot of recovery time, a fair amount of morbidity. So a lot of patients that we did this operation to uh, simply you know, didn't get back to their normal lifestyles afterwards.
0: So where did brain aneurysm surgery head after that? I mean, can you talk a bit more about the devices that we're using yeah. that are entering the market?
1: Yeah, so you know, obviously there was a need uh, to improve on these technologies. People just didn't want to have these treatments, these open surgical procedures done. You know, as most fields in medicine have done, uh, things have gone more in a minimally invasive fashion. And I think uh, neurosurgeons, neurologists, in fact, really a lot of neurointerventional radiologists sort of picked up from the cardiologists and you know how they're placing stents in the heart through endovascular inside the blood vessel techniques. And we saw these approaches and said, "Hey, listen, can we can we do this?" And this happened well before my time. There's some great pioneers in the field that that started doing you know some pretty amazing procedures with not very good equipment, uh, but they were noticing that they could actually get up to the aneurysm, get into the brain through inside of the blood vessel, you know, through a little needle stick in the groin, uh, and be able to take care of the aneurysm by placing certain things into the aneurysm through the blood vessel. So people would go out of the hospital in a day or so. And as you can imagine, that really caught on. uh, And companies started making better and better devices. So now we're to a point where I would say probably about 90% of aneurysms are treated from inside the blood vessel. And patients are going home with a little Band-Aid on their groin or a Band-Aid on their wrist, and they're getting back to work in two days.
0: Wow. So is your team part of any new device trials? Can you talk about any devices currently in trials?
1: Yeah. So so it's a, it's a great time to be a, a, an aneurysm surgeon. The reason for that is, you know, we used to have a couple of options. And, and now every day we're hearing about a new device that's on the horizon. And so uh, here at the Cleveland Clinic, we're part of almost all of these trials that are looking at these new devices. One of the biggest changes, I would say probably over the past five years uh, has been these flow diverting stents that we're placing into the carotid artery or other arteries of the brain. And Whereas before, we had to go into the aneurysm with a catheter and place these little coils. As you can imagine, you know, trying to take a two millimeter catheter from the groin and putting it into a three millimeter aneurysm all the way in the brain. A lot can go wrong in that whole pathway up there. So it'd be nice if you didn't have to go into the aneurysm. So these flow diverting stents are like little mesh tubes and we can place them just across the aneurysm. We don't even have to go into the aneurysm. And then over the course of months to a year, the aneurysm just clots off. And the blood vessel just heals over the stent, and the aneurysm goes away. So we are involved in multiple trials uh, that brought that device to market. Uh, now it's an FDA-approved device. It's really the, the standard of care for aneurysms. So let's shift gears
0: and talk about surgical planning in your practice. With so many different devices, uh, I assume the candidate pool for patients with non-emergent brain aneurysms is a bit larger. Can you tell me when it's most appropriate for a practicing neurologist to refer a
1: patient for surgical
0: treatment of an aneurysm?
1: Most of the time, uh, especially smaller aneurysms, we actually will do something we call kind of conservative management or medical management, meaning that we'll make sure the patient's blood pressure is lower and sort of do serial imaging over years just to watch the aneurysm and make sure uh, it, it doesn't change or grow. Um, we're always happy to, to, to follow those aneurysms, but I think when uh, uh, neurologists in the community are seeing certain aneurysms we definitely want to know about those and I think some of those things are if a patient has a strong family history of aneurysms so if you're seeing a patient they still have a you know they have a two or three millimeter aneurysm most of the time you probably watch those because they're small but if the patient starts talking about it, or if you ask and they say yeah well you know I have a direct family member that has a ruptured, had a ruptured aneurysm uh, I have a family member that has a brain aneurysm everyone in my family has aneurysms that's something that we probably should see because we tend to treat Patients with smaller aneurysms with strong family history—simply the, their risk of rupture is much higher. Um, tobacco smoking is a, is a big thing that's that's sort of been uh, our research has shown increases the risk of aneurysm rupturing. So we're more inclined to treat aneurysms uh, that are smaller. So a a four or five millimeter aneurysm that we would usually watch. If someone's been smoking you know, 50-pack year smoking or something of that nature, then we would probably look towards treating that. Um, Some of the other more subtle things uh, that that we look at or that we we like to see patients for, certainly if patients are having increasing headaches uh, that are unusual to them and they have an aneurysm, um, sometimes we worry that that aneurysm is changing, maybe causing those. Now, I know headaches is tough because people get headaches for a lot of reasons. But if they're sort of saying this is different to me you know i'm concerned about it. maybe that's somebody we want to see and i think the last thing um, is if uh, you know a radiologist you know calls and says this aneurysm is irregular or if you're looking at the images uh, yourself and and the aneurysm has little bumps on it or there's multi lobes on the aneurysm even though it's small um, those tend to be high risk aneurysms so we may you know treat a smaller aneurysm um, uh, because it's just a ugly looking aneurysm to be honest So aneurysms are probably best treated uh, in larger centers. I mean, I think there are very, very good practitioners throughout the country at smaller hospitals that do a great job, but I think Uh, at some point, the treatment of these aneurysms becomes very complex. And I think as the the treatment gets more and more complicated, meaning more devices to choose from, you know, surgical planning, like you kind of mentioned, you know, we have to really do a lot of planning out on the anatomy of the aneurysm, what device is going to be good. You know, it's not just yes or no for this device. It's can we use this device, this device, this device. So I think patients should be transferred uh, to some of these tertiary or larger centers like the Cleveland Clinic because we have all those options and we can educate patients on what the best treatment is. And I think that's the probably the best way to lower the morbidity of treatment and to get patients back to their, you know, back to their lifestyle, which is the main thing.
0: What sort of new techniques do you have for surgical planning? Are there new approaches to radiology or simulation or... Anything that you bring to bear before you go in and do the procedure itself?
1: Yeah, so historically, it's it's really just been looking at scans, you know? So we'd look at a CAT scan or an MRI scan, and that's great, but it takes many, many years. And I think that's one of the things surgeons try to, you know, learn as they, as they get better and better is how to realize and how to understand the 3D anatomy they're going to see when they're doing surgery or they're going to see when they're doing uh, an angio procedure and how does that correlate to the sort of the two dimensional imaging you're sort of seeing when you're looking at a cat scan or you're looking at an MRI so what we've sort of thought about here is can we take some newer technologies and enhance our ability to look at these aneurysms in the anatomy and so one of the things we came up with is using 3D printer technology so based on some of our 3D angiograms we do we can get some pictures, and we can send them off to some of our colleagues and radiologists, and they can actually 3D print an aneurysm. And so I knew nothing about 3D printing before this this happened, and I was absolutely amazed. The, the radiologist came up to us and handed us a life-size, model of the patient's carotid artery and their brain aneurysm and i was astounded i couldn't believe you know first of all the size because when we use a microscope it looks much bigger and when when we're looking at our screens it looks huge because we're we're magnifying so much and i was holding it in my hand you know it just it just sort of struck you as you know know, this is what we're dealing with these small little aneurysms um you could see blood vessels that were coursing near the aneurysm and and it really allowed us to plan uh, the procedure so the first case this was involved with. I, it was a it was an aneurysm uh, that was I was a little worried about doing surgery. It was going to be a little bit of a complicated case. And I had the model in my hand. One of the great things was I was able to give the patient his aneurysm. He could hold it and look at it. And it really was great because he could kind of really understand what we were going to do. Uh, but the best part was I was able to plan what clip to use, uh, what the approach was before. And typically, a surgery like this would take about three hours. We actually finished the procedure skin to skin from start to close at about an hour and a half. So really, it, it was amazing. I was astounded at how much it actually helped. You could kind of go right to right to the point of the aneurysm, use that clip, and, and that planning was everything. It really made a big difference.
0: Do you generally give the 3D models to the patients? Yeah, I, I
1: have. Uh, I have a lot of them sitting at my desk in my office, <laughs> office as well, so I'm sort of collecting these. Yeah, Very yeah, cool. yeah, Yeah, okay. it is. Well, when approaching surgical
0: cases, um, how do you think about incorporating the new devices in your practice? I know your your team does a bunch of... Uh, hybrid open endovascular surgeries. I mean, how do you determine which way you're going to go and what yeah. you're going to do?
1: Yeah, so I, I think in the end, it's it's having a discussion with a patient and really understanding what their goals are of the treatment and, and, and realizing that. I mean, in the end, we want to get rid of the aneurysm because we want to get rid of that risk uh, for hemorrhage in the brain. But you know, you're not gonna do anybody a favor if you put them through a horrible procedure and they have a long recovery time. You know, a lot of patients will look back retrospectively and say, why did I do that procedure? You know, I I didn't get any benefit from that. And so, you know, the biggest thing we look at is is how are we gonna get the patient back to their life, uh, but not have this aneurysm or reduce the risk or eliminate the risk of rupture. So a lot of it is imaging, like we've discussed. Sometimes we have to think outside of the box, and that's where a lot of these combined approaches have come. There's been multiple cases where endovascular therapies, such as these stents and coils and things like that, have failed, Um, uh, and the aneurysm continues to grow, despite our best efforts. And and so in some of those instances, uh, we've had to deploy surgery um, in order to take care of those aneurysms. There's been some really difficult cases where we didn't have an option either way. And we found that by combining the two options, so by doing surgery and by doing the endovascular technique we could actually eliminate the aneurysm so in one instance a, a patient had a large aneurysm that we were putting coils in over and over and it kept growing back and it was a very very difficult to operate locations that's why we were doing this so many times we we're trying to avoid that surgery so uh, one thing we did was we decided hey listen this aneurysm is coming back we replaced the patient's circulation with a big brain bypass to fill the blood vessels we put some more coils in the aneurysm for the last time and we, ac- we actually sacrificed the blood vessel surgically and you think well if you sacrifice the blood vessel as not the patient gonna have a stroke well the bypass filled in those blood vessels so by combining replacing the circulation with a bypass and then putting some more coils in we actually got that aneurysm taken care of and, and so that those are some of these things that why you would probably refer a patient to a tertiary center because we have all these options available
0: yeah so I mean how does the structure of the team at the cerebrovascular center contribute to surgical planning, decision-making. How does that help you out?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, it's always good to have good partners you trust so that you can talk to them about cases. And we we always discuss cases. In fact, we have almost like an aneurysm board where we actually will review a lot of cases and sort of, hey, listen, did you think about that procedure? Or, you know, hey, what about this from a surgical approach? And so I think bouncing uh, those ideas off each other, we actually have a very multidisciplinary team. So we have neurologists, neurointerventional radiologists, and neurosurgeons all doing sort of the similar procedure. So we can all kind of offer, something from each of the different disciplines, which is very good and, and, and it helps patients. And so I, I think in, in that realm, being in a place like the Cleveland Clinic really helps because we have this multidisciplinary uh, approach to how, to how to treat aneurysms.
0: So Mark, any other closing remarks or major takeaways for our audience?
1: Yeah, so you know, one of the other uh, devices that we we haven't talked about, and in fact, I just just got done doing two of them, uh, is this web device uh, that we're using now. And so we talked a little bit about uh, using flow diverting stents, uh, and these mesh stents that will take down aneurysms, but one of the problems has been dealing with aneurysms that are at these branching points of blood vessels. And we used to do a lot of surgery in this realm. And so um, uh, a a device called Webb um, came out. And it's actually a very fascinating device. Instead of it being a, a mesh tube, like that stent we were talking about, this is actually a mesh ball. And we're able to deploy it into the aneurysm. And the mesh has sort of a lot of friction on the wall. So we're able to put this device into these sort of circular aneurysms. uh, And the meshed ball just sort of sticks in there. And it stays in there very nicely. And these procedures are taking about 15 minutes to do. um, patients are leaving the hospital the next morning afterwards. In fact, probably we're going to get to a point where people could leave the same day um, after the surgery. And it's really um, uh, taken aneurysms that were once only surgical aneurysms, and now we are able to treat endovascularly so this this device just hit the market probably about six months ago um, and we really uh, um, are deepening our experience in that realm and and it's going very very well so it's another uh, very very exciting uh, breakthrough in aneurysm procedures right now
0: very cool well having spent three months doing neurosurgery in my training in Canada and observing the patients and the outcomes and the haircuts they had on. Yeah, yeah. I'm
1: really appreciative of what you guys wrote. <laughs> yeah, 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 funny that, you know, the haircuts are, it's a big deal. You know, it's, it's, a it's, big all, deal. it's all about the patient's experience. And, you know, no one wants to go home and after they're fully recovered, they have to let their hair grow back in, right? So that's very rare we have to do that. And, uh, you know, now uh, most patients leave the hospital with, with simply a little band aid on their, on their wrist with a little needle stick or on their groin. Um, and that's it. So it's, it's actually great to see. It, it really uh, makes your day to be a part of the surgical treatment in the past and now. We're bringing the field out of that sort of maybe even the dark ages and into this newer realm.
0: Very cool. Well, Mark, thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate your time and insights. Thanks for having me. This concludes this episode of our NeuroPathways podcast. You can find additional podcast episodes on our website, slash neuropodcast. Subscribe to the NeuroPathways podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud. Or wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget you can access real-time updates from experts in Cleveland Clinic's Neurological Institute on our Consult QD website, consultqd.clevelandclinic.org/neuro, or follow us on Twitter at cleclinicmd, all one word. That's at M D on Twitter. Thank you for listening. Please join us again soon.